This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Hermit's Cave was a syndicated radio horror series. The Hermit's Cave was narrated by the character, the Hermit, with a majority of episodes beginning with the following dialogue. Ghost stories, weird stories, and murders, too. The Hermit knows of them all. Turn out your lights, turn them out, and listen while the Hermit tells you. Now, here's a real twist in the way the program was produced. Initially, the syndication was done via scripts, so that stations would broadcast the program with their own casts. Wow. Think of the opportunity for local actors to have a chance to perform in a locally produced script. The program began September of 1937, continued into the mid-40s on WJRAM in Detroit, Michigan. And in 1942, WJR's broadcasts of the show were recorded and broadcast a week later on WBBM in Chicago, Illinois. By 1943, Transcriptions of the WJR version of the program were also being broadcast in eight additional cities. Show sponsors include the Carter Coal Company, which advertised its home-eating coal product, Olga Coal, and the Siamese Company, which promoted its various automotive care products like Simonize Cleaner. Uh, throughout the years, the voice of the hermit was provided by various actors. And now the episode entitled Reflected Image. The Mummers. In the little theater of the air. Now, the hermit. strike civilization before long. Don't be such a devil, Dan. I gotta rest. All right. For a few minutes, then. 
desert. Desert. I hate it. Walking for hours. Sun beating down. Uh, stop it, Taylor. You can't go on that way. If you do, you'll go loco. Come on. Let me have a drink of water. Uh, we should wait till the sun goes down. Do us more good, then. You are the devil. Holding out on water. My tongue's like a bale of cotton. All right. You think I'm a devil? Hold out and out. There isn't any more water. No more water? I drained the last one we took that drink four or five hours ago. I don't believe it. Let me have a bottle. Here. No water. No more water. No more water. Now, listen. Don't do no good to get panicky. When they make your thirst worse, crying out like that. Just another day would bring us into a settlement. Lost. Our bones will bleach white here on the desert. Sit back and rest. It's getting cooler now. Dan, look. Look over there, atop that rise of sand. I'm looking. Do you see her standing there? I see the dead stump of a tree. So do you. I see her. A beautiful woman. The breeze blow on her dress. So cool-like. And Dan, she's waving to us, beckoning us to come on. Taylor, where are you going? Come back here. Wait. I'm coming. I see you. <coughs> Don't go away. I'll get up. Wait, that's all. Wait. Follow me. I'll take you to our cabin. Cabin? Water. There's a well near the cabin. Follow me. Dan, she's real. She's telling us to follow her. Dan, hurry. Follow me. Follow me to the cabin. All the water that you wanted. Dan. Follow me. Dan. Dan! Taylor, Taylor, you've got to get a hold of yourself. I talked to her. There was a woman here. It was no dead tree. She said to follow her. That way. East, she said, to the cabin and water. Dan, you got to believe. you got to try it. Help me up, Dan. Oh, Taylor, you're seeing things. No, you got to try. She was here. And she said to follow her. I can't believe you saw anyone. It's worth trying, isn't it, Dan? I talked to her. She said to walk this way. Come on. Uh, it's getting too dark to see, Taylor. We ought to... Oh, you're gonna try. Well... Come on. Where's the woman now? She went ahead. I saw her move this way. Hello? Hello? See? No one answered. You didn't see any woman. Well, we've got to keep walking this way, Dan. Oh, it's crazy. Cabin. Water. The woman said this way. There wasn't any woman. You've gone off your nut, Taylor. You don't stop this crazy stuff. I'm going to leave you in the morning. Strike out for myself. Look. <sighs> Look. Do you see? Why, all that's good. A light. I told you. Cabin. Water, just as a woman said. You must have seen a woman, Taylor. I didn't believe. Come on, Dan, hurry. We've struck real luck. Luck and water. Hello? Hello? We're coming. Hello? 
No one answers. It ain't a light in the cabin, Taylor. It's a star we see. No. It ain't no star. It's a light in a cabin too big for a star. It is pretty big, Taylor. You're right. I can see the shack now. Sure. Come on. The cabin door is open. They've heard us. The woman is waiting for us. Hooray. Water. Water. Uh, take it easy, partner. Don't drink too fast or too much at first. That's enough, Taylor, for now. Where's your outfit, Stanley? Lost it three days ago. You ain't packing any guns? No, we haven't any. Then you're welcome to stay the night. It was mighty nice of your wife to tell us we were welcome here. What's that, stranger? Your wife. Or the woman that told us to follow her here to the cabin and water. They don't savvy what you mean. Ah, funny thing. I could drink forever, but it don't seem to quench my thirst. Let me take the cup now. Both of you better take it easy. Like you said, too much ain't good all of a sudden. Strangers, what are you doing here in the desert? A storm overtook us four or five days ago. We didn't even have time to unpack the animals. And when the storm was over, horses, outfit, everything gone. Yes, see. Uh, what was this about you seeing a woman who directed you here to my cabin? Uh, Taylor here. He thought he saw a woman waving to him. A woman who said there was a cabin and a well of water near. I figured all the time he was seeing things. Sort of a reflected image on the desert sand. Yeah. Folks drifting into insanity are always seeing things on the desert. And... Sure. I know. Well, how far away from the nearest settlement? This settlement is about 35 miles due east of here. Not as far as I thought. We can start out in the morning. Sure. I'll give you directions. Fine, partner. Fine. You live here all alone? Yep. My name is Fred Holker. Well, uh, glad to meet you. I'm Dan Torrance. My partner, Taylor Wiley. You're welcome for the night. I'll rustle up some grub. After eating... I'll tell you a desert story that'll put you a seeing a woman on the desert in the small class as stories go. Yes. I'll tell you a real desert story if you want to listen. This story will tell you what horrible things a desert can do to folks. It was about three years ago that me and my partner got together all our possessions. We sold them for all the profit we could get. Then bought stuff to start out on a prospecting trip. For a while, we didn't strike enough gold to make expenses. Then one morning, Ab and me made a walloping strike and hightailed it to town with our samples. What's all the shooting about, yeah. Me and Ed just come from the SCN office, that's what. Go on, what's the news? We struck it, boys. We struck it rich. Do you hear that? All across an air have struck it. I'll say we struck it. No more grubbing for us. We're in the money, boys. We're in. Oh, 
He was rich. The first thing I did was to send back to the settlement for my girl to come out to me. Ab helped me get ready for her. We built this here cabin. Of course, it's no mansion, but the side better than most desert champions. Well, Lila came out, and we was married in Altoro. Men came back here to the cabin. Lila, she brought things along to pretty up the place. Curtains and such. We was real happy. Ab, Lila, and me. And the gold was still coming in. Night times, Lila and me would make plans as to how we were going to the big cities and, and live like king and queen. Then one morning, I, I comes into the cabin. Lila was sitting in that chair where you are sitting now, stranger. And Dad was standing there by the table. I could sense right away that something was up. I says... Supper on, Lila? No. Time for grub, ain't it? Maybe so. Go on, Lila. Tell him. Tell me what? Lila don't want to stay here with you anymore, Fred. I reckon Lila's able to talk for herself, Ab. What's this Ab is telling me, Lila? Ab's got it right, Fred. I hate it out here. And you won't give up and say we got enough to move on. Well, now... Let I... me do the talking. I can't stand it here in the desert. Not any longer. I'll go crazy if I have to be here another day. But I thought... Go on, tell him all of it, Lila. It ain't only the desert you don't like. Him. Lila's in love with me. Is this true? Lila, tell me. Is it the truth what I've seen? Yes. Well, have you desert rat. I'll break every bone in your body. I'll take it easy. You won't touch me so long as I got the draw on you. Fight like a man, you yellow lividge cook. Put down that gun and fight like a man. Yes, don't listen to him. Don't you lay a hand on Ab, Fred. I ain't afraid to fight him. There's my gun on the table. Now, come on ahead. Don't kill him! That's what I aim to do. Kill him. You never walk out of here. You're poisoned like a snake. Fight this rat with one arm. Did you? No, Fred! No, no! No, no! I give up! No! Start paying right now. 
Did I tell the sheriff about you being a murderer? You ain't going to tell the sheriff and nobody else what's happened in this cabin. You're going to do just what I tell you to do. And no more. tell you before the night is done. <laughs> and now, the hermit again. <laughs> Fred Holcroft continues to narrate his strange desert story to the two men who were led to his cabin by a woman. Listen. <laughs> We buried Ab that night. What do you mean, we? Lila and me. The woman who had betrayed me. I made her handle the shovel. I can remember as well as if it were today. She was sobbing and carrying on. But I kept her shoveling. Keep shoveling. Cover up the man you love. Make him a good deep grave. Don't look to me for mercy. Keep digging. You love me once, You've got to have mercy. I don't recollect you have no mercy for me. I hope he can still feel things while he's there in the sand. Yeah. I hope the sand chokes him. Burns out his eyes. Get up on your feet. He's buried deep enough now. You listen to what I'm telling you. If anybody comes this way, we don't know what happened to Abby. You hear? We don't know nothing. I can tell by the look in your eyes that you figure I was mighty cruel to Lila. But you got to remember, she had played me dirt. And what's more, she had tried to murder me to save that skunk of a man. I couldn't forget that. I didn't forget it. Every hour, I made her suffer for her sins. I made her work the mine with me. Made her stand out in the blinding storms, in the heat of the sun, till her skin was burned black and her eyes all puffed and faded out, till the beauty was gone forever. Well, as for me, I was sorting away the gold, burying it right underneath his cabin floor, fighting my time, and waiting till I had enough gold to buy whatever I wanted from this life. Then, Lila, she took down with a fever. One night when the moon was riding high, the sky bright as daylight on the desert sands, she got up from her bed, 
I tried to stop her. Don't touch me. I'm going away. You're sick, Lila. You can't leave the cabin. I'm going to Ab. To Ab, is it? Ain't you suffering enough for your sins? You still got a mention of his name? Let go of me, Fred. I gotta find Ab. Go then. Never come back to this cabin. Never come back. I stood at the door of this cabin watching her stagger away in the moonlight night. I never searched for her body. Her bones are bleached white by now from the sun. As for me, well, I always figured on moving on. But the sun and the desert, the scorching sands and the wild winds blowing, all of it sort of got into my blood. And I've stayed on here, hoarding my gold. But one of these days, I'll be pulling out for the city and the lights, the music, all the rich things money can buy. I don't understand it. Why are you telling all this to us, two strangers? How do you know we won't report you as a murderer? I don't likely know why I'm talking. Unless it's that the loneliness in the desert has gotten it. You let the woman wander off into the desert to die? I told you just as it happened. Don't you understand, stranger? That woman didn't die. It was her we saw tonight. Her that beckoned us into this cabin. She never died at all. Haley, you never saw any woman. You saw the dead stump of a tree. You thought it was someone moving. She talked to me, I tell you. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Don't you know? It's her. Look. Look out the window. Tyler. That's the woman who beckoned to Dan and me. She's standing out there at the window. No. She died, I told you. I never died, Fred. Never died. I've come for you. Don't let her in, Miss Kevin. Look. She walked right through the door. It can't be her. Look closely, Fred. I've come to finish up what I should have done years ago. Stop her. Don't let her do that again. I've got it now, Fred. This time I'll do more than wing you. <laughs> Grab him, Taylor. Look at the blood. Help her. I'm dying. He's done for. And the woman. She's disappeared through that door just like she came in. She's gone. And you and I, Taylor, we're going to be accused of this murder. We're telling the story straight, mister. You've got to go out there and get his body. And you got to believe it, just as we told you. The woman killed him and vanished. We're not guilty. Sit down, stranger. Take it easy. What did you say the old guy's name was? Fred Holcroft, he told us. Old Fred, eh? Who struck it rich or thought he did? That's him. He's lying there in the cabin now with a bullet through his heart. <laughs> I guess you two were really touched by the sun. You got to go out to the cabin with us and see for yourself. Listen, stranger. You ain't going to get anybody in Autora to go out to that desert shack to look for the body of Fred Holcroft. What do you mean? We mean there ain't no sense in looking for the body of him that's been dead for 20 years. I don't get it. 
Fred Holcroft's been dead for 19 or 20 years. I went out there at the time, recollected well. I was in the party that went out there, too. Sure. Found his body and that of his wife's, both stretched out on the floor of the cabin. Died of the fever, I reckon. Why, there ain't any cabin out there anymore. Blowed away long ago by the wind. Yes, sirree. You two have really been seeing things. But you ain't the first ones that have come out of the desert are telling about seeing a woman standing out there in the sands, uh, beckoning them to the cabin in a water hole. Just a few months ago, a guy comes in here babbling about a woman who led him to a water hole. But ain't none of them ever been so touched before that they saw the old man or the cabin or had a vision of a murder. Did anyone ever find old Holcroft's gold? Nope, nor his partner neither. Some folks reckoned he left Fred and his wife there to die and took the gold for himself. Listen, then. It may be we saw a vision. But you come out there with us to the spot where the cabin did stand. Maybe we can prove to you that the story we heard last night was true. Here's where we stopped. But you can see there ain't any cabin. You said the gold was buried underneath the cabin floor. That would be about here. All right, for the heck of it, let's start digging. Come on. Gold. By cracky gold. Just as we told you. Just as he told it to us. Visions, huh? Visions on a desert. But it was more than our being touched by the sun. We saw spirits of the dead. We saw them and heard them. And we've found the gold that brought about evil and murder. of the desert, and yet it was not of the mind alone, but rather a ghostly vision of the past, spirits that could not rest in their graves of sand, ghostly visions returning to earth to walk the desert on moonlight nights, to speak to the living, to relate over and over the stories of their sin and murder. Yes, turn on your light. Turn them on. <laughs> I'll be back. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> All characters, places, and occurrences mentioned in the Hermit's Cave are fictitious and similarity to persons, places, or occurrences is purely accidental. Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edgar Bergen and his little wooden dummy, Charlie McCarthy.
This is Ben Grauer, ladies and gentlemen, greeting you on behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble and his orchestra, Anita Gordon, Mortimer Snurd, Ursula Twing, and our very special guest for the evening, Hildegard. And here's Charlie McCarthy. Stuff it, stuff it, stuff it. Oh, why, Charlie, old boy, what's wrong with you? Oh, it's nothing, Ray. It's just my pals have turned against me, that's all. That's all. That's yes, all. but what about uh, Fred Allen? I'm through with him. Well, how about Edgar? Well, he's through with me. <laughs> I'm lowering a gopher's basement, I think. Oh, Charlie. Uh, I'm back up on the ground floor. <laughs> Hello, Edgar. I want to sing. Yeah. Well, go ahead, my little nightingale. <laughs> Anita Gordon, Charlie's 15-year-old singing discovery and 20th Century Fox starlet, sings June is busting out all over. June is busting out all over, all over the meadow and the hill. But busting out of bushes and the rockin' river pushes every little wheel that wheels beside a mill. June is busting out all over. The feeling is getting so intense that the young Virginia creepers have been hugging the vegetators out of all the morning glories on the fence. Because it's June. June, June, June. Just because it's June, summertime, and living with you, Thinking about you. Oh, oh yes. Are you are you going to forgive me for running off with Fred Allen? I I don't know what to do, young man. You don't know. No. Hmm. I just haven't decided what to do. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I've certainly learned a lesson, Sergeant. Yes. Yes, I have. Well, I I now hope that you feel a greater sense of loyalty to me. Oh yes, yes I do, sir. Now I know which side my bread is margarine on. Yes. <laughs> yes, Charlie, we must we must stand by each other. Yes, we must. Yes. We must help each other. Damon helped Pythias. Yes, he did that, yes. Watson helped Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yes, sometimes the very littlest fellow can help the big fellow. Oh, he can. 
You've heard about the lion and the mouse, haven't you? No, sir. I, I haven't seen the papers lately. No, I <laughs> I've been so upset, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a fable. No, well, I don't believe half what I read anyway. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, I mean, it happened a long time ago. Oh, I... Yes, it teaches... It teaches a great lesson. It does. Yes. Oh, won't you please, sir, tell it in your own inimitable way? Yes. <laughs> Let those pearls of wisdom drop from your ever-moving lips. <laughs> <clears throat> I couldn't resist it. Well, watch it. I, shall I tell the long version or the short version? really doesn't matter. I don't listen anyway. <laughs> well, but in this story, in this case, I do want you to listen, and listen very carefully. Yes, sir. I shall be all ears with my fingers in them. <laughs> There's a parallel between the lion and the mouse and, uh, and you and me. No. Yes, yes. Now, I can be compared to the big shaggy lion. Is this molting season for lions? No. <laughs> And you might be, shall we say, uh, you are the, the little mouse. Yes. You don't have to beat around a bush. Just come right out and say it. What's that? Go ahead. Call me a rat. Go ahead. Yes. I know what you're thinking. All right. Now, once upon a time, there was a sleeping lion. Was this at a lion's club? No, no. no, no. <laughs> and uh, as this lion slept, there was a little mouse walking around all over him. A sleepwalker. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly the lion awoke and raised his paw and left the room. No, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> no. Uh, and he caught the mouse under his paw, and then he opened his terrifying jaws to eat the mouse. But the little mouse said, Stop. He talked right back to the lion. Oh, stout fella. Stout fella. Oh, I'm proud of you, you little cheese burner. You all right, all right. <laughs> now you see this mouse. Mouse had uh, intestinal fortitude. I know a shorter way to say that. No, I'm not. <laughs> and the little mouse said, uh, "The little mouse said, uh, please, please, baby, I have done no harm. I have to sit through these things, anyway." <laughs> Mouse had a lovely squeaking voice, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Bergen, did anyone ever tell you that you have a very fascinating way of telling a story? Well, as a matter of fact, they, they have, yes. Uh-huh, they have. Yes, oh, yes. <laughs> well, they lied. Oh, I... <laughs> and so the lion answered this little mouse. He says, why shouldn't I eat you now? And the little mouse said, because there's no R in mouth. No, please. <laughs> I'm out of season. No, please. <laughs> no. So the mouse said, perhaps someday I can help you, Mr. Lion. And the lion was so amused that he laughed and he laughed and he let the mouse go. <laughs> he laughed himself right out of the mouse burger, didn't he? Yes. <laughs> and now, now comes the exciting part of the story. Well, just... Stop jumping up and down and tell it, all right. And then, then came the fateful day. A most terrible thing happened. You and your What's your phone number? John! And you see, there were some lion hunters walking through the forest. Charlie! Can you get rid of the urchin you with? 
Getting away from the story, but not far enough. Oh, right. <laughs> so these hunters caught this lion in a great big rope trap. They did? Yes. And the little mouse happened by. Yeah. And do you know what that mouse did? He ate the lion. No, no. <laughs> no. Well, I can be wrong. I'll admit it. What did the little mouse do? Well, I'll tell you. The little mouse. He saw these ropes there, and he sprang at these ropes, and he started to gnaw and gnaw and gnaw. Gnaw. <laughs> yes, sir, the little insignificant mouse freed the mighty king of the beast. Well, I'll be darned. <laughs> now, what is the moral of this fable? Well, there's the moral there. Yes, there is. And I know you got it. Well, I'm working on it, yeah. <laughs> the moral is... Yes. The moral is... It pays to have a friend... That's right. ...who gnaws the rope. No, no, no. <laughs> Surely you got more out of the story than that. Well, a little more. What's that? If you want a story spoiled, let Bergen tell it. Yeah, all Astigmatism. Tourism. Hmm? Uh, 
I say perhaps you have astigmatism. Yeah, I reckon so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Might have. Might have. If I have, it settled right in my eye, too. It settled right in your eye. Yeah. Well, where did you get the glasses? Well, they're Grandpa Snurs. Oh, Grandpa Snurs. Yup. Yup, that's who they were. Yeah. Oh. Quite a lot of smart Alex in New York. <laughs> yep, that's right. You got them from Grandpa Snurd. I loaned them from him. Yeah, I loaned them from him. I see. Are they uh, nose glasses, aren't they? No, they're eyeglasses. I know they're eyeglasses. <laughs> uh, are they good? Well, everything looks kind of fuzzy through them. But... Well, then why do you wear them? Well, it gives my nose something to do. It gives your nose. Uh... Hello there, Mr. Noble. No, that's not Mr. Noble over there. No, no. That's a music rag. Oh, I thought he looked better than usual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you better take those glasses off. You know, I'm afraid my eyes might catch cold. Oh, no, no. I don't think you need glasses at all. Well, maybe not, but you know, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of look extinguished wearing these, these Spectre and Hornicles. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, no, it's specter uh, and barnacles. No, no, no. Corn speckled obstacles. No. Corn swaggled skepticals. No. Well, that's as far as I take it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll tell you something that's very good for the eyes. What's that? Uh, vitamin A. Yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vitamin A? Yes. Is that a small A or a big A? Well, it's just it's a. As a matter of fact, vitamins are, are, are just very good for growing children. Well, I don't want to grow children. No, I know. <laughs> oh, you're a fool. <laughs> How can you be so stupid? Oh, I don't know. But it sure is a wonderful feeling. I imagine so. together, don't you? Well, at least terribly. <laughs> what does he mean, Edgar? Well, I think Charlie can explain how loyal we are to each other, can't you? Yes, I'll leave you two alone. Charlie, 
Tell Hildegard what's the matter. Bergen seems so cool towards you. His knee feels like a cake of ice lately. <laughs> well, don't feel too badly, Charlie. And let me sing to you. All right, you sing and I'll accompany you on the pogo stick. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to sing a beautiful French ballad, which became a favorite with the boys overseas. It was then known as J'attendre, and now with an English lyric, it is called, I'll Be Yours. I'll be yours. My world may be lonely. But I'll await your return. I'll be yours, yours forever and only. And while you're gone, how I yearn. You're in every prayer, every thought, every dream, dear. You're everywhere, come what may, night and day, I'll be yours. You're in every prayer. Every thought, every dream, dear, you're everywhere, come what may, night and day, I'll be I'm glad. But I know how you can make Edgar feel better. Yes. You know how? Yes. Why don't you buy him a little present? Yeah, well, what would you suggest? A monogrammed hot water bottle or something? <laughs> oh, be serious, Charles. Get him something really nice. Yeah, but my piggy bank is something from uh, uh, malnutrition or something. <laughs> well, in that case, get him something inexpensive in a funny, in a fancy box. Yes. Yeah, not funny, fancy. Oh, I know just the place where you can purchase it. It's on Fifth Avenue in a very swanky shop. But Bergen doesn't wear a swanky song. <laughs> well, how will we get there? Uh, we'll let uh, Ray Noble's music send us. Uh -huh. Oh, here's the place, Charlie. Isn't it simply too, too elegant? Oh, it's sheer heaven. I should have worn the ermine shorts. <laughs> You are now within the cloistered walls of Grauer, Wimple, and Dinkleberry. Uh, what position do you play, Bud? <laughs> I am Benjamin Grauer. Do you have an appointment? No, I don't. But I have an uncle in Kentucky that races ducks. <laughs> well, look here. That, that's neither here nor there. 
Oh, you're quite right. That's Kentucky. <laughs> oh, really? Now, well, the more expensive things are in the front of the store. They get cheaper as you go towards the back. Would you mind showing us something in the alley? <laughs> Look here, just, just how much money do you intend to spend? I was planning on using box top. Well, how about getting Edgar a leash for his dog? Yeah, but you see, he hasn't a dog. Well, how about getting him a dog? We see he hasn't a leash. Now, here is a very rare old English powder horn. But he could never learn to play it, you know. Hello there, Charlie, old boy. what are you doing in here? Oh, I just came in to buy someone a gift for a surprise. You know? Well, who are you going to surprise? <laughs> Me. I get to kick out of that sort of thing. <laughs> I saw some lovely watches here. Oh, I've got a watch, dear. You know, it's a funny thing. Once I dropped it in the Hudson River, and a year later, it was still running. The watch? Uh, no, the Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. I do believe you've made a very funny witticism. Or am I wrong? You people may be very amusing to someone, but have you any intentions of buying anything? Uh, what do you have in dueling pistols? Bullets, silly. Oh. Uh, here's a pair right here. <laughs> Now, if you observe, these were owned by the umbrella bearer of the Maharaja of Downpour. How much are these pistols? These pistols? Yes. $200. Great guns. They certainly are. <laughs> shall, I, uh, shall I wrap them up? Wrap them up? Why, well, I couldn't even make a down payment on a deposit. Well, <laughs> in that case, in that case, you'll have to talk to our credit manager. Oh, credit. I'm coming, Danny. Coming. Coming. <laughs> these people want to open an account. Oh, an account? Yeah. Oh, they do? Oh, that's peachy. Yeah. <laughs> what have you run into here? Well, friends, my name is Ursula Twang. Uh, yeah, Ursula Twang, that's fine. And I'm head of the credit department, and, uh, well, no, I'm not exactly head of it either because, well, yes, I am too, because the regular head is on vacation now. You mean you have two heads? No, no. Oh, yeah. No, I do not mean that. Uh, what I mean is that I am credit manager of this particular store, uh, and, uh, well, it isn't a exactly a particular store either because anyone can trade here, and very few do. <laughs> well, what about our charge account? Oh, your charge account? Oh, yes. Well, uh, what can you offer as a collateral? <laughs> well, I have... I have an honest face. Oh, yes, I know, but, but you cannot put a face in a cash register. Yeah. <laughs> you should know. You look like you've tried it. <laughs> Come on, Alex. Uh, tell me, tell me, uh, what about our credit? Oh, yes, your credit. Uh, well, you're going to get the credit all right. Oh, we but are. You're, oh, yes, you are. But you're not going to get it yet. No. No, you're not. Not until you change your attitude. <laughs> and pray, sir, what is wrong with her? Well, attitude? I'll tell you what's wrong with your attitude. There are entirely too many little undercurrents of criticism running around here to which I do not subscribe. No, and if you want to see me, I'll be in my office. In your office. Well, no, I won't be in my office either because I'm going home. Going yes, home. so goodbye. Yes. <laughs> Looks like we don't get to pistols, do oh, we? Oh, wait a minute, Charlie. Perhaps I'd be interested. May I see one of them? Oh, be careful, uh, Ray. You may you may shoot someone. Oh, don't be silly, my dear. I'm holding my finger over the muzzle. <laughs> I take care of that. <laughs> Tell me, Ray, I'll bet you're fond of hunting, aren't you? Uh, oh, hunting? Oh, rather, yes. I must tell you about the time that I was shooting at uh, Lord Loverduck's county seat. And did you hit it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, Oh, yes. I don't miss on that, you know. I was aiming the weapon just like this. 
why you shot that porcelain rabbit right in half. Oh, splitting hairs. <laughs> I made a joke, no? <laughs> you made a joke? Yes, yes. Give me that gun. It's my turn. Just stick anything out. I'll knock it off later. Oh, be sure and hit something cheap. Something cheap, yeah. <laughs> oh, you shot those two china pheasants. Good hunting, old boy. Good hunting. <laughs> What's the limit around here? Hold on, hold everything, you little twerp. You can't use this place for a shooting gallery. Oh, oh my goodness, you've shot Mr. Tinkleberry. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was Fred Allen. <laughs> In a charming way He was so persistent It began one day In the middle of May He met a gal named June Took her off in July And needs an August moon And August September he kept admiring her charm, and all through us, they were locked in each other's arms. From November to Jan, the runaround began, February and March, he was a worried man, it was until April. That she said okay, and they were married in the middle of May. From November to Jan, the runaround began. February and March, he was a worried man. It was until April that she said okay, and they were married in the middle of May. In the middle of May. In the middle of Almost time to listen to Fred Allen. Yeah, Fred Allen. <laughs> Three, pardon me. <laughs> Why should I listen to him on the air? He won't even talk to me well, in person. Well, after all, Charlie. <laughs> you know, no, be fair, Charlie. Uh, and you're entitled to 10% according to law. Yeah, well, uh, that, that's what... Uh, the, 
Is that so? Yes, according to law, boy. Well, what what, what law says so? What the law? very oldest legal authority. Hey, quote me, man. Quote me. Yeah. Quote Blackstone, me. Curbstone, Gallstone, and Pebble. Oh. <laughs> they ought to know. They ought to know. But but Alan won't even see me. He shuts no, the door no, in my face. No, no, but he'll see me, Charlie. Yes, I'll go over there right now and tell him you're thinking of bringing suit. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you you give it to him. And you tell him if he doesn't pay me, I'll slap him across the face with a subpoena. That's what I'm <laughs> All right, Charlie. Yeah. And if he gets belligerent, old yeah. boy, I'll jolly well mow him, so help me. I'll clip him down or whatever it is you yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble, Anita Gordon, Mortimer Snurd, and all of us invite Fred Allen to be back with us as our guest. We'll be coming to you from New York, Radio City. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Hopalong Cassidy, followed by The Bob Hope Show. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Zneimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.